Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. As I've mentioned during all podcasts during the month of May, it's Bird Dogs for Habitat Month. In its simplest terms, Bird Dogs for Habitat is a bird dog breed popularity contest. Check it out. See who's in the lead right now at birddogsforhabitat.org. Every donation you make, you can assign as a vote to the breed of your choice. And if, you're, um, if you want to become a member of Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever or renew your membership or even extend your membership. So say your membership's good till, oh, let's say it's good till November of 2022. You can renew through birddogsforhabitat.org. Get an Orvis personalized uh, dog collar for Bird Dogs for Habitat, and you will extend your membership through November 2023. It doesn't interfere with anything you've already paid for. It tacks on a full year to your membership with Pheasants Forever or to Quail Forever. And uh, it'll help us raise money for our habitat mission. Uh, shout out to our Bird Dogs for Habitat sponsors at Orvis, Sport Dog Brand e-collars, Perina Pro Plan, Roughland Kennels, the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, Project Upland, and The Flush uh, on Outdoor Channel 3rd and 4th Quarters. And those partners helped us raise more than 75 thousand dollars last year through this fun little competition and thanks to 400 people who became members during last year's competition we are well on our way to meeting and hopefully exceeding that goal this year during the bird dogs for habitat campaign as i mentioned one of our partners in the bird dogs for habitat campaign is also a partner in all of our hunter recruitment retention and reactivation efforts and that partner is north the north american versatile hunting dog association navda navda tomato tomato they are uh, a wonderful group of dog lovers and uh, folks that care deeply about training your bird dog to the best of its ability and that's where we're going to focus our attention on today's episode We've got, uh, I'm, I'm at the all-team meeting for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, and you'll hear a number of podcasts that I'm recording at this event over the course of the coming weeks. Um, if you're an upland bird hunter on Instagram, and you, you were teasing me about this earlier, Mike, <laughs> you know the handle M. Naduski. I, I didn't even ask you, do you pronounce it Naduski or Nadusky? Nadusky. Nadusky. I've been pronouncing it wrong, but I know That's okay. I know the handle <laughs> because you are the most liberal liker in the Instagram world, and that's a badge of honor now for you. It is, yeah. You, know, you got to spread the love. Yeah, right on. Absolutely, right on. There's more, uh, more friendliness on Instagram is uh, is a good thing. Yeah, the, the internet's a rough enough place. So, <laughs> um, well, Mike, we're going to talk uh, with you about NAVDA because your 
as I sort of prepped for this, I think about the relationship you have with NAVDA has sort of intertwined with your career in sort of your life path. They've all like your life, your career, NAVDA and dogs have sort of progressed together. And as, as I thought about guests for a, a NAVDA oriented podcast, even though I didn't pronounce your name correctly <laughs> and we know each other, but it's like, how often do you say each other's last name? Just, yeah, almost never. Right. Yeah. Especially in this world. Oh, yeah. The Nadusky. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think about you and the intertwined nature of your dogs and NAVDA in your life. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how how it's changed. Um, I don't know if it changes the right word. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Um, um, but let, let's start with at least a brief introduction. Walk me up to like, sure. where you grew up um, mm-hmm. and, and a little bit about your background. Yeah. And first, um, I have to say thank you for having me. This is such a privilege. Um, you know, I've been a long, long-time fan of the podcast even well before I came on staff or got into conservation. So uh, this is uh, very sort of surreal and serendipitous. So thank you. Um, in, in this room of uh, institutional gray in yeah, the hotel. <laughs> you know, but I, it's very plush. Yeah, but I feel like, <laughs> you know, if, you. if I'm going to spread the love on Instagram, I have to do it well, in real life as well. That would be inauthentic if I didn't you've always been very kind um, with your likes and your kind words so so thank you I try you're welcome Um, so I I grew up uh, in in New England in uh, Massachusetts in Connecticut uh, on a a small family farm um, and uh, came to the outdoors through that grew up deer hunting Hmm. Um, very traditional patriarchal sort of background my grandfather was a deer hunter my dad was a deer hunter and so that's what I grew up doing and um you know, that was a very important piece of my upbringing and, and hobbies and, and passions um, and, and the thing that I sort of look forward to the most. Um, from there, I went to college in Milwaukee. I went to Marquette uh, and uh, sort of left New England and, and really didn't do a lot of hunting in college. Very little. I had a, a couple of friends um, by the time I was a senior that, you know, that hunted and or we attempted to hunt anyway. Um, it's one of those things I look back on now and I'm like, Mike, you, there's so much opportunity around yeah. there. What were you doing? How did you um, end up in, at Marquette from New England? Yeah. Um, I didn't want to go to BC. Okay. And, uh, and I went to a, a private uh, Catholic high school. Sure. And, and so I had that sort of, you know, spiritual slant that, that mm. I wanted to pursue in college and a very strong mentor in high school had attended Marquette and suggested I look at it. Okay. And so I went out there and uh, fell in love with it immediately. My, I would also say my mom is a big proponent of education and I'm the oldest child in our family. And she was very adamant with me of, she thought it would benefit from going away to school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I had that in the back of my head. I would tell you, I think my mom regrets that now because I've never come home. Mm-hmm. And I, I love you, mom, but I'm not coming back to New England. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so went to, went out to Marquette and um, and really really enjoyed that. And uh, from there, I was really involved in a lot of activities in college. I was a resident assistant. I was in a fraternity, a number of student groups, and and I really liked that environment. Mm-hmm. And I had a mentor again in college that I, I sort of journeyed my way up to that point of like 
I don't know what I want to do. And uh, I was a history major because I took enough history classes where my advisor was like, if you take one more history class, you're a history major. And I was like, perfect, let's do that. <laughs> so I clearly had a lot of direction. Mm -hmm. And um, and from there, uh, I had a mentor that encouraged me, like, you could do this professionally. You should look at graduate school, things like that. So from there, I went to Clemson University in South Carolina. Mm. I got a graduate degree specifically around counseling college students and college student administration. Um, and so I, I worked at Clemson, uh, for two years while I got a graduate degree overseeing a residence hall there. So where the students live, um, and, and trying to keep a lid on that and keep students safe and engaged and, uh, you know, focused on their academics as much as you can at a division one football school. Mm -hmm. Um, and I loved Clemson. It was a great, great experience. And, um, but I didn't really, those two years, I probably, the only time I hunted was when I went home for deer, okay. um, no birds at this point. And then I uh, finished my graduate degree and moved to St. Louis uh, to to pursue that career. And I uh, got, a, got a job at a some very small university outside St. Louis called Maryville University of St. Louis, uh, where I was overseeing a lot of their student housing. Hmm. And um, it was there um, that I met my wife, who had two short hairs uh, that uh, didn't hunt. Uh, she's an athlete, and so uh, they were her running partners. Um, and it came to the point where, where we were dating and, and we were pursuing another dog and, and I decided that I, I wanted a, a hunting dog. And, and so that's sort of where my, my bird dog journey took off. I candidly, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but I, I picked the breed I wanted at the time, uh, wire hair, because it had the propensity to blood track. Mm -hmm. And I was big into bow hunting at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I looked at it more as like, here's this thing that I can do all this stuff with, but it really will help me serve this very important conservation purpose of bringing game to the table if mm -hmm. it's wounded. Um, and then, and then uh, if anybody knows anything about me in the last 10 years, I've pivoted massively from deer hunting. Uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get into that. But yeah, that's a, sort of my journey so up to that point. So your very first dog was a wire hair. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And, and you said you're, you're, your wife you um, runs with the dogs. Mm -hmm. So did she grow up with dogs? And this is all no. Kind of a new yeah, her um, her best friend had a Weimaraner, huh. and uh, she loved the looks of them, but didn't want something that big. And uh, and so she fell in love with short hairs, and and so just ended up getting uh, getting two um, over the course of a couple of years, well before we met. So when we met, I think. Sydney was eight and Sophie was six. So she had two short hairs mm -hmm. before you met. You guys start dating. She's got two dogs. And then you added, added. the wire hair, mm -hmm. third dog. Mm -hmm. And you're still dating at this time. Yeah. Or is this newlyweds? No, we were dating. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, a little crazy. I was living in an apartment. Yeah. Know, why not throw a bird dog in the mix? So, you know, good, like strong 25-year-old life choice you know decision. yeah yeah so. and her short hairs at that time did they ever grow up to to bird hunt with you uh, n not in a traditional sense um <laughs> once i got into hunting a lot um huh. i would i would occasionally take them mm -hmm. uh and i would run them on really long check cords because they had zero obedience huh. um, i don't know that she'll listen to this but um if she does she'll fully well admit that she's not a dog trainer and so um their level of obedience was how loudly and sharply I could yell their name mm -hmm. and they knew whether to come back or not. Mm. Um, so, you know, they would come in, in, um, Sydney, the oldest is probably 
that's a, a dog I'll lament not having. Not, you know, I, that's a dog I wish I had now, mm. you know, as a puppy, because there was a lot. I can see now there was a lot of potential there, but mm. she just liked to run. <laughs> and so um, she could not swim to save her life, though, which was she would not have been a good nap to dog. So, and how old are the two short hairs when you add the, the wire hair into this mix? Mm. Probably 10 and 8. Oh, okay, so yeah. they're they're veteran dogs, senior dogs, and yeah. or at least getting into the senior years. So, wire hair comes home, and you, you know, you you pick the wire hair because of the blood trailing. Yep. Right. Um, at that point, did you make a decision you were going to train this dog yourself, or is that where Navda enters the picture? Yeah, I knew. Um, I'm a really big researcher. I, I input a lot. If you're if you're familiar with like a strengths quest, for example, inputs a, a trait, and okay. I have a re- I have rate really high on input, so I research a ton. Okay. So I bought four or five books, <laughs> and before we ever bought the brought the dog home, and that's how I learned about Navda, um, as an opportunity to train and and sort of be exposed to this broader world of, mm-hmm. of a versatile dog. I, I purposely wanted a wire hair because it was blood track, but also because it could do all of these other things, and and I I sort of had an eye towards that that looks cool. I wanted more time outside. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew about NAVD. I hadn't really done anything, but I knew I wanted to try to train the dog myself. I also just was not in a, in a position financially where I could send the dog away for training, mm-hmm. but I, I knew like this was a big responsibility. I needed to take it seriously and in, and make sure that I make something of this, this puppy. And I was very, very fortunate. Um, the, the person, I didn't know this when I bought the dog, I, I made the, the sort of quintessential, you know, got the green light to go get this puppy. And I just got the first one I could get my mm. hands on. Um, and which, which luckily for me worked out, but for folks listening at home, I don't recommend that. Um, at any rate, the, the person who owned the, the sire of the litter, the, the father of the litter, unbeknownst to me, lived about 10 minutes away mm. and got my my phone number from the breeder and called me out of the blue and said, Hey, I heard you have a puppy for my dog, Leo. I would, I'd love to see the puppy. Um, you know, I'm going training this weekend. Do you want to come with me? And this is all in the St. Louis area. Yeah. This is in, in West County, St. Louis. Okay. So again, I'm, I'm living on campus, uh-huh. you know, this, this, and you're going to school and working at this time. Then I was just working. You're just working. Okay. Yep. So, um, and so, um, you know, living in an apartment on campus with a puppy and, uh, and so, the mass's name matt calls me up and says you know hey do you want to do this i'm like sure i don't nothing yeah, and yeah. he's like all right i'll pick you up tomorrow at 5 30 huh. um a.m i'm like all right that's no problem and so he was training his dog leo um for the navda invitational at the time which i'm sure we'll get into the invitational is the highest level test that navda offers so there's a lot of a lot of skill and obedience involved and so the first trained bird dog and I, I had never hunted behind bird dogs to this point hmm. nothing um so the first trained dog that i saw was a dog that was trained arguably to the to the maximum level within a navda system sure. or training for that level sure. and so so leo at the time was you know steady to wing shot and fall and all of these things the like glue we, we go out training and um he goes you know how to shoot a shotgun i go yeah and i had shot sporting clays maybe four times at this point and and you know but i was young and i didn't want to admit that i didn't know anything and, and you were and, a deer hunter so it wasn't yeah. like it was foreign to you correct and so he's like all right here you go and hands me a you know, browning satori and we go out in the field and he he puts a couple birds out and gets leo out and leo goes on point and he's like all right walk up there and 
shoot a bird. And I'm like, I don't have the heart to tell him. I've never shot a bird on the wing before. Huh. And uh, the bird goes, and I shoot it, and and Leo stands there. And I'm like, what is going on? And he walks up, fetch. He goes out, grabs a bird, runs right back to him, sits, looks at him, out, done. And I'm like, oh, this is – I'm done now. And uh, and so that – Matt will tell you this. Like, I became like the – like. I was very clingy. Like, are you training this weekend? Are you training this weekend? Are you training this weekend? Um, you and, should have got a Vishla. Yeah, <laughs> it's very true. Um, you know, I, I, it like it just opened my eyes to to all of this possibility, and I knew I had this puppy, and I knew the best thing for it was to put it in in as many situations as possible. And here's somebody that clearly knows what they're doing, and 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 I don't have any currency, but time and my ability to listen and learn and do what I'm told. And so mm. I just leaned really hard into, do you, you know, are you training this weekend? Can I come help? Mm. And, um, and, and this that, is your wire. What was your wire hair? What's your wire hair? Plexi. Your? Plexi. Okay. Yep. And so, um, so that was, that was, um, our last year in St. Louis. Um, that was my year of, of trying to, you know, basically all the way up until hunting season, and then from there, I was like, well, I have this dog. What am I going to do with it? Um, and so that sort of led me to bird hunting. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm seeing all that. And I was like, well, I, I want to see this dog, you know, point birds and, and do all of that. And so, uh, yeah, that, that led me to, to try bird hunting for the first so time. So how long, how long are you at in uh, St. Louis? A total of three years. Okay. So, yeah. And did you get Plexi at the beginning of that three years? No, the, probably the basically like right at the year, like year three mark. Oh, okay. Yep. So when you tried bird hunting, were you in St. Louis or Mm -hmm. had you moved on to? Yeah. My first season upland bird hunting, I lived in St. Louis. Okay. Yep. Chasing quail, woodcock? Uh, Woodcock um, and trying to chase quail. um, And then the state of Illinois had a release program. Okay. And so um, there was a, a, I think it was a state park in the area that did a release program. And so I would, I would go do that. I think I did that maybe three or four times. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I rarely think when I talk about St. Louis, Mm -hmm. Illinois is right over, (laughs) right across the way. Right. And there's all sorts of um, Illinois opportunities to chase pheasants too. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, the trajectory to now Mm -hmm. that, getting plex and in that first season is what opened my eyes to public land Mm. and to conservation and then to conservation so for me it was get this dog i'm living in an apartment in a place that i'm not from Mm -hmm. you know because i grew up on a farm like i could i walked out the door with my right deer rifle Mm -hmm. that was my hunting experience and so now i'm living in in very suburban st louis in an apartment Mm -hmm. with this puppy and it needs places to go mm-hmm. so i i started researching and and in finding public land and um and then I, I need places to hunt i don't have permission anywhere don't know anybody that hunts so again public land and then um and then you know really looking into to what where i can go and what i can do and then from there sort of stumbled into conservation mm-hmm. as a whole based off of sort of the public lands movement. Yeah. So, so just to tease people, the yeah. race to the end here is you, you're a development officer Yeah. with pheasants forever and quail forever. And I think I, 
I don't think I mentioned that in, in the intro. If people come to the podcast, they'll read it. Sure. That, that you're a development officer. But there's a, there's a, um, a story to tell here. <laughs> there is, right? yeah, absolutely. Because I always think about, okay, so you worked at uh, the same university where your wife worked, mm-hmm. right at the beginning, yep. right where you met. Mm-hmm. And then you both have been able to sort of move multiple times. Yeah. And still work, and sometimes the same place. Every time. See, that's just wild, right? So, all right. So, we're three years in to, uh, I'm sorry, the university is Maryville Maryville University in St. Louis. Three years in, and you guys jump. How did the jump happen? Yeah. um, So, uh, well, there's an end story for Becky's name. Becky... uh, there's an end story here for Becky too. That's very serendipitous. But uh, she is a very aspirational career woman and uh, was a faculty member. And, and the next step in that career was to be a department chair and got recruited um, to, to go work at Concordia University in Wisconsin, which is just outside Milwaukee. And, yeah. and I love Milwaukee. Um, and so for me, it was an opportunity to go back to where I went to college, right. um, back to Wisconsin. And, um, and you're still dating at this point. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And so from there, we, uh, so she gets recruited to this job at Concordia and, um, we'd been together two, two and a half years at that point. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it, if it was like, all right, we're moving to Wisconsin. Um, and so we did that. And, mm-hmm. uh, so moved to Wisconsin, um, and, and that was wild. I, and so to your point, I didn't, I moved without a job. Okay. So Becky's got the job yep. and she's at Concordia on, what's her job? So there she was the department chair for uh, their, their occupational therapy programs. Okay. Yep. So she's got the job. You're like, I'm in love. Yep. I'm going. We're going. We're going. And, uh, three dogs packed up and, yep. and here we go. Yep. Back to Milwaukee. Back to Milwaukee. All right. And then you're like, I probably got to make a living somehow. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm very grateful. I grew up um, I grew up in the trades, and um, my dad ran a construction company and obviously grew up on a farm. And um, so I, for two months, I didn't have uh, I didn't have official employment. I hmm. basically took Cra- Craigslist gigs, hmm. um, doing odd remodeling gigs and um, in different things. I worked for a... I worked as like a bouncer for an estate sale company and moving furniture. And <laughs> like, I was like just trying to make money. Two guys in a truck. Pretty much. One guy in a yeah, truck. <laughs> yeah. Whatever I could do. And, um, and so, but I was trying to, you know, I was applying to a variety of things and, um, right at the end of, so that we moved in higher ed, typically you move in the summer. Mm. And so right at the end of that summer, I was lucky enough to get a job at uh, the school of pharmacy at Concordia overseeing their student services um, for their pharmacy students, um, which was great because it afforded me the opportunity to go back to dog training. You know, mm. I wasn't making any money. And so, uh, I, you know, dog training's not cheap. And so I couldn't, I, I sort of put Plexi on the back burner that entire summer. You know, mm. I would find places to run her, but I wasn't training. I really wasn't, I wasn't very connected to a NAVDA chapter. Um, and so got the job at, at Concordia and went, oh, the first thing I want to do is go back to dog training. Mm. And so I, right before uh, we left Missouri, I met uh, I met a gentleman named Roy Ames who is a NAVDA judge. 
and he was judging the Missouri test basically one of the last weekends I was in Missouri and he was the president of a chapter in Milwaukee hmm. or South of Milwaukee, the Northern Illinois chapter. And, um, so I called him up and said, Hey, I'm here now, you know, when are you training? Can I come out? And, um, and they run, they do a lot of, of training and, um, a lot of opportunity for folks to go out, um, on, uh, at, at Bong State Recreational Area, which is a very prominent, uh, prairie landscape in Southeast Wisconsin. And so, um, so I got tied in with that group. Um, and I would tell you if I had to pick a moment, you know, to sort of jump to the end of how, what pushed me to be where I am now, it was making that phone call and meeting Roy and, Hmm. and going to that group. Hmm. Yeah. That, that is a character trait of you, meaning you're very proactive in it. I think it, ties back to the liberal <laughs> like around Instagram, sure. right? Like you're very proactive just to interact with people. And, yeah. you know, whether that's reaching out through NAVDA or social media, you, you don't have a lot of inhibitions about, <laughs> in, a, in a positive way, you're sure. just super friendly. And like, so I can see you reaching out to NAVDA and yeah. making connections and, you know, having that community, um, kind of reciprocate and because that's what they want they want people like you to be yeah absolutely yeah for i mean if folks are looking to get the most out of their navda experience the the best advice i can give is show up and help Mm -hmm. and ask questions yeah and ask be and be willing to to learn yeah yeah so you get engaged with this um the navda chapter in milwaukee yeah and start training every week with that yeah so that group it was right at the tail end of summer but um, they typically, there's a, a core group that trains two nights a week mm-hmm. and then there's training nights or training days once a month on the weekends. Um, and so I got into that group and, and Tuesdays and Thursdays were the nights. And so mm-hmm. I would, and in my role at the university was flexible enough to where I could cut out at, at three, three thirty mm-hmm. and, and get through Milwaukee. So I'm not sitting in rush hour and go dog train until dark and mm-hmm. hang out and, and all of that. And how many years are you in Milwaukee this trip? Four. Four. Okay. Yep. And I want to say this is when, so what, what years were there? Because I want to say this 13 is. 13 to 17. Okay. So this is when you started appearing like on my radar. Uh-oh. Well, no, no. I mean, because I, I, I believe you were in Wisconsin when I first started interacting you with you on social media. And then, uh, then you ended up in the southeast in North Carolina. Yep, right, North mm-hmm. Carolina. So, um, and then you really kind of splashed into the <laughs> upland scene, which which we'll get to. Sure. But um, tell me about how you made this jump from Milwaukee to North Carolina. Sure. And, and both getting jobs there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so again, you know. Um, Becky reached a point where, where she was ready for the next step. And so she, um, she, uh, got offered, a, a the Dean of school of health sciences position at Elon, um, which for, for, uh, for her and, and for us, my knowledge of the institution was a no brainer. Mm. And so, um, so there we went to North Carolina. And so we, we were married at this point. And, um, so that's, that's where we're going. And I had had a number of colleagues that had either gone to Elon as students or had worked there. And so very high, 
uh, institutional reputation. And so that was, was the clear next step. Um, funny story about that. So she takes a job. We're in the middle of selling our house in Wisconsin because we're selling our house, our house is staged. We set up like our living quarters in the basement. And, um, and by this point I am bird hunting all the time. Mm. Like I have a friend with a camp in Northern Wisconsin. We're doing the leave Thursday afternoon, hunt Friday, Saturday, all day, Sunday, come home Sunday night, you know, the, the exhaust, like the, the and are t- you starting to write at this time? I was, uh, for myself. Yeah, okay. But blog. now getting published at this point. No. Okay. No. Um, so we were doing the, the, the rigmarole, but so get through that season. And, and again, we're selling our house and we're sitting in the basement and it, Becky will tell you like the, it was like out of nowhere all of a sudden. And I'm being from the Northeast and growing up in the trades. I have a horrible mouth. I'll be good on the podcast. Um, but, <laughs> I would never have guessed that. Oh, terrible. Huh. And um, and all of a sudden I go, oh, expletive, like out of nowhere. And she's like, what? Like something's wrong. Like I got a text message. And I'm, and I'm looking and I'm like, I can't hunt on Sunday in North Carolina. Like wh- I didn't look, I didn't input this yeah. as well as I should have <laughs> before I agreed to do this. Huh. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so we've moved to North Carolina and um, – and Plexi at that point was pretty well through her NAVDA career. I um, obviously ran her as a puppy. and um, She's got to be eight-ish now? At that point, no. At that point, she was probably five or six. Okay. Yep. Um, and so moved through, moved through the testing system. Um, she never – and I would put this squarely on my shoulders. I could never – I made too many mistakes when she was a puppy to get her to the invitationals, you know, that, that came out when she ran utility, she achieved very good results as a utility dog. Um, and what's the, utility? Uh, sorry. Mean? Yeah. The, so NAVDA has four tests. They have the natural ability, which is the puppy test. Okay. So, which is mostly actually for breeders to look at, to assess an entire litter. The goal for a natural ability is to get as a breeder is to get all of your puppies to run in a natural ability test. So you can look and say, you know, do the dogs perform in search? Do they perform in pointing? Do they perform in tracking? Do they okay. swim, etc.? Um, so she excelled in that. And then as you progress, then it's more trained elements. So a utility level test is, um, you know, dog has to be steady to wing shot and fall. So once it goes on point, it doesn't move. It shouldn't move until you send it Release for it. a retrieve. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't, um, it, it, you know, it, it should retrieve to hand, um, you know, and, and there's various, you know, avenues for that, both in, both with shot birds, um, with like, uh, a drag dead game as well as in the water. So, um, uh, you know, a, a mock duck retrieve, mm-hmm. um, there's a steady by blind sequence. Healing is, is an important. And then duck search mimics, uh, game recovery for a wounded duck. Mm. Um, that's all, those are all, you know, elements of the utility test. Um, and it, a lot of people would describe it, uh, the utility test for a finished dog is it's a lot like, holding a balloon and squeezing it and can you can the dog handle getting squeezed without popping mm. somewhere right because when you squeeze a balloon that pressure has to go somewhere sure. Sure. um and i had created enough weaknesses in the balloon so to speak in my amateur training that that she could never put all of the pieces together in one run to get a prize one so to to the way the testing works it's judged on a standard it's not competitive so um, i'm a judge now and what i always say is like i want to i want to i want everybody to get the maximum number you know the maximum score they can get every time out Uh, because it's against a standard not competitive um 
And so, um, I'm not naturally a competitive person. And so that really suits my style, you know, like we're all here to try to achieve the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so she was pretty, she was pretty well on her way at that point. I think I had run her twice in utility and it just wasn't, I knew, I knew like I might get really, really lucky mm. and get her there, but you know, how much do you, do you, uh, sort of do the same thing over and over again and Mm -hmm. expect different results. And so, uh, but at that point I had found other ways to get involved. So I got super involved in that Northern Illinois chapter. Um, Roy, who I mentioned previously, I remember we were at a test once and I just out of the blue asked him what it meant to become a judge and what that process was. And so then went down that road Hmm. and became a, became a judge. So there's a very robust apprentice program through NAVDA where you've got to go see so many, you've got to do certain things to get into the program, then do so many tests as an apprentice, which is over a year long process, then hopefully get a, you get evaluated after everyone. It's very stringent and, um, and then got approved to be a judge. And so by that point, by the time we moved to North Carolina, I was actually, I was a, I think I had got approved and we, and we moved to North Carolina. Okay. Uh, and so that was like right about the same time. Um, so I had gotten her through sort of the training and the testing, but I had found other ways to stay really involved in NAVDA. Huh. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you moved to North Carolina, mm-hmm. and Becky's got a gig. Yep. And so um, at that point, at that level, uh, you know, you you could say, like, that's a pretty senior level opportunity. You know, you could might negotiate a spousal hire. Nope. Okay. I had to, had to stand. she's dean of? The School of Health Sciences. Okay. Yep. So uh, she's like, no, you can you can stand and bang on your own two feet. Sure. Um, and, and at that time in that world, I had um, – built a, a resume around um, w- student conduct or student discipline, basically working with students that, that violated policies and um, huh. working them through the process in, partic- in a particular area around sexual assault and sexual harassment. Um, and that, got, that sort of became very niche. Um, hmm. And I don't want to go too far down that road, but, but basically that was my, that was what I was really good at. Hmm. And, um, and so I, I knew that that's what I wanted to, I wanted to stay in that area. Mm-hmm. And so luckily the timing really worked that Elon was a bit behind the times in that mm-hmm. area. And so I brought a skill set to the table that, that they were hiring for at the same time <laughs> and, and had a significant background in. So mm-hmm. I basically walked into a role to build three that for three. You yeah. guys travel together and crazy create gigs. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll play out one more time. Uh, <laughs> And so, um, a little teaser for folks. Um, so you're in North Carolina, you both got gigs and did you get connected with uh, a NAVDA chapter in North Carolina? Yeah. So at this point, you know, I'm pretty deep in a NAVDA. I'm a judge. Mm -hmm. I've got a utility dog. Um, you know, I had, I had really gotten involved with that Northern Illinois chapter about helping other people train. So, so I was pretty far along, you know, in, in my development in a short period of time. And so I knew, you know, it was something I was going to keep doing. And mm-hmm. so from there, I joined the Tar Heel chapter in North Carolina, uh, which is a great group of folks. And uh, so dove right into that, mm. um, you know, and, and, and they were a very new chapter. So to, to have somebody that, that was a judge and things, there was only one other judge in the chapter. And so um, that was a very beneficial relationship for them as well. And uh so yeah, that but but also you know again from a hunting perspective, I moved, you know, 
moved away from Midwest bird hunting mm-hmm. to North Carolina. So that was a, you had to learn. I had to re yeah, learn from scratch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <clears throat> so at this point, go from social media to, I, I attended a, I think the name of the, the festival was public grouse. Yeah. And it was a project upland endeavor mm-hmm. with rough grouse society and BHA. BHA. Mm-hmm. And you showed up on the screen <laughs> yeah. hunting rough grouse in North Carolina. Yep. And it was with Darrell, right? Yeah. Yep. So how'd that come about? Yeah. Um, so uh, let me, I'll back up. So I talked about, you know, public, like getting into this through the dog, to the public lands, to mm-hmm. conservation. The only reason that happened again, the inputting. So I'm researching and I find this blog called Mouthful of Feathers. Hmm who at the time was, uh, uh, I think Steve Smithhammer, Greg McReynolds, Tom Reed, mm-hmm. and Chad Love. Mm-hmm. Chad Love and Reed Bryant. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that are writing for this blog. And I fall in love with this blog. And I read every blog post, Every I'm on the, you know, I subscribe, all these things. And at some point, one of them writes about BHA hmm. and the public lands issue out west. So I look at BHA this is really interesting. This is really important to me. I could see how this translates to the East because I'm an East Coast kid. There's lots of public land issues out East. So I joined BHA. While I'm in Wisconsin, BHA, this is, you know, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. BHA is just moving East. Mm -hmm. They're starting a Wisconsin chapter. I get a phone call from Ty Stubblefield about helping start the Wisconsin BHA chapter. And so I jump on that. I was a founding board member of the Wisconsin BHA chapter. I was also, Wisconsin also has a conservation Congress, Mm -hmm. which is an elected um, uh, group by County. And so at that point I was also the chair of the Milwaukee County conservation Congress. And so I, I, that's, that was my inroad to conservation right there. Um, And I promise I'll get to North Carolina. No, I didn't know this part of the story. It's good. So um, you get that, get that chapter up and running you know, with a great group of folks, that chapter's super strong. I, I still love following what they do. Moved to North Carolina. North Carolina doesn't have a BHA chapter. Okay. But BHA was small enough at that point where I just emailed Landon, Ty, and went, I'm moving to North Carolina. There isn't a chapter. When you're ready, let me know. Huh. Um, and so about a year, six months to a year into that, I get a phone call from Eddie Nickens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he says, hey, I'm I'm on the board of BHA. We're talking about starting a North Carolina chapter. Land gave me your name. You know, I'm getting the band together. <laughs> Let's talk. And I and I didn't put two and two together at that time who Eddie Nickens was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get to that, I'm sure. But um, I was like, okay, cool. And so we go to meet in Raleigh at the Players Retreat, which is a bar outside NC State, and start BHA in North Carolina. Huh. And so from there, Public Grouse really was more of a BHA venture than an RGS venture. And, um, but I had this, I had grouse hunted up here, you know, in, in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and had a, I mean, that was my wild bird hunting. I chased pheasants and I found wild, wild pheasants in and around Milwaukee, but I mean, I was a grouse hunter mm-hmm. and, and so I, you know, I chased birds in the mountains and, and we had another gentleman who on our board in North Carolina named Tyler Ross, who lived out in the mountains and we were always on the forest management issue. And so when public grouse came across, uh, you know, for BHA, 
I think it was Eddie. I don't think I'm talking out of turn saying this, but I think Eddie kind of said, Hey, if you're going to do this, you need to come talk about grouse in the Southeast because mm-hmm. they're hanging on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so Tyler kind of got tapped to do that, but Tyler doesn't have dogs mm-hmm. and I did. And so, um, very graciously, Tyler was like, Hey, you're coming to do this. Mm-hmm. And then the project Upland guys knew Darrell mm-hmm. and Darrell was in Georgia. And, uh, so they, they asked Darrell, you know, to come too. And so, um, th- so that was how I met Darrell and, and we go and, and try to find grouse in North Carolina, which is no small task. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so that, that was how I ended up on public grouse. Okay. Yep. It, it illustrates really how small a community is if you just proactively reach out. Yeah. Right. Whether it's land, yeah. Darrell, Eddie Nickens, um, yeah, you, yeah. the list goes on and on, Yeah, you know, just, you want, cause I often get these, these phone calls, whether it's, you know, college kids mm-hmm. wanting to kind of get a quote, dream job sure. in conservation. Like, how do I, how do I get started? Yeah. You know, or, or it's like the person that's had a job for 10 years and mm-hmm. like, just, they're not loving what they're doing. Sure. It does take a little time, yeah. but you know, if you network it just like any other job, yeah. there's opportunity. Mm-hmm. You just have to, like you've said a couple of times, you got to show up, mm-hmm. just start volunteering. Yeah. Right. Start getting involved. Um, start a chapter. Yeah. Like I can't tell you how many people in the industry started, like you start a chapter and then one thing leads to another and it's like, yeah. well, you see those job postings when, when they come up sooner than almost anybody, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, and, and at that point, um, you know, people are, if they know that you're interested in it, are, are tapping you, mm-hmm. you know, for that. So, so you're in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and here's where you kind of dove headfirst into conservation. Yeah. Right? Because... You're, you're working, you've had three jobs at this point mm-hmm. in, at higher education, mm-hmm. and you take a, a little bit of a left turn and you merge your passion with your career. I'd, I'd say a hard left turn. How'd that come Yeah, up? hard, hard left turn. Um, so, again, knowing the, the landscape with which, in which I worked around, I was basically doing sexual assault investigations for a university. And, um, that's heavy work. Mm-hmm. And I got to a point where, um, that wasn't tenable anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it was just, it, 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 it's very important work and it needs to be done. And there are a lot of folks that, that, um, are still doing it and, and are, I'm very grateful that they are, but I just couldn't do it anymore. And so, and I also, and I had known to your point about longevity, I had started looking at jobs in conservation in 2015. Okay. Um, so I still lived in Wisconsin then. And so I knew I had this inkling, like there's an off ramp here and I want to take it mm-hmm. when the time comes, I want to take it. It's emotionally wearing on you. To, yeah. To, yeah. The work, but also, you know, again, that, it, so I think this, this is somewhat of a millennial trait or a thing to do in that, um, yeah, you, you, for me, I wanted to merge this thing that, that had really completely taken over my personal life and mm-hmm. my hobby and, and my passion, which was the, the dog and bird hunting and wild places and public lands and work. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I was working in a field that was very important to me. Um, and I was excelling in, I just, it was too emotionally taxing. And so 
so I had started kind of looking for the off ramp and knowing, knowing I was going to take it. Um, and then as it happens in careers, you know, you progress and you get more responsibility, but with that, for me, that sort of emotional toll escalated as mm -hmm. well. And so really in 20 fall of 19, fall of 19 work got really bad. You know, it was a very, very stressful fall. I had some very high profile, very difficult, challenging cases. And I was like, I'm, I'm out. Like mm -hmm. I, I'll do this as long as I have to, but I am fighting for off ramps. And, uh, so, so with that January, February, uh, PF posted a development officer position. And I knew I had done in higher ed because I had bird dogs. I had worked with one of their development officers at Concordia, um, who was a bird hunter and he, he used bird hunting as a fundraising mm -hmm. event. Um, and he knew I had bird dogs, so he would recruit me to go help guide for him. Mm -hmm. um, for, for, so I had been around fundraising mm -hmm. a little bit and, um, and then at, at Elon with my wife's role, I had been around fundraising as a sort of university representative or the spouse of a university representative. So I understood the space and, um, and I'm very extroverted. I love talking to people. I love building relationships. You um, like, like things on Instagram. I do. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and so, and I have a counseling degree and so I know how to, I know how to ask questions and talk to people and find out about what's important to them. And so the PF posts this development officer position and, and talk about connections and networking. Marilyn Vetter, who is on our board, it was past president of NAVDA. Um, you know, I knew Marilyn. And so I reached out to Marilyn and said, Hey, I have, I know that I'm, I have no experience in this, but this is something I really want to do. I have an immense passion for it. I'd learn really quickly you know, what do you think? And to Marilyn's credit, I'm so grateful. She literally was like, Oh my God, yes, you're applying for that job. Yes. You're putting me as a reference, you know, you know, give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And that was right before Pheasant Fest 2020. Okay. And so, um, and I was already coming to Pheasant Fest 2020 f to help with NAVDA and some other things. And so got to meet part of the team and, and Jordan Martinjic, who's now my supervisor and David Bue. And I think the only person, Bob, that I didn't meet at Pheasant Fest 2020 is you. <laughs> um, and so, um, so that, that, you know, kicked off all these conversations. Um, yeah, but there's a curveball. There comment. is, I was just going to say spoiler. Um, so I didn't get that job. Um, and it wasn't the right time. And, and it, you know, organization at that point needed somebody with much more experience, uh, which, which we got. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, but that really having those conversations for me, was a good confidence boost of like, I can talk about this. I know I can do this. Mm. I'm building, if nothing else, your point, I'm building relationships in the space. People know who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm not going away. We'll figure it out. And, um, then COVID happens. Mm -hmm. And so that's a whole other thing and um yeah it literally happened right after pheasant fest 2020 got over yeah well my um i literally flew to minneapolis to interview for that job on wednesday and the world shut down on sunday mm -hmm. yeah so um it was a it was a that was a ride um through the course of that um i had during that time i had also built a relationship with ben jones um, i met him at an avd meeting and similar like I'm looking for an off ramp. This is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I 
have a skill set, I think I can do these things. And and Ben is leader of Rough the Grouse Society. CEO and president of Rough Grouse Society. And so um, so they uh, had some staff changes, um, you know, with with COVID and retirements and things. And so um, I'll, try, I'll really try to abbreviate this. Long story short, I knew I was trying to leave higher ed. I got offered a job to go do what I was doing, sexual assault investigations for the U.S. Olympics. Really? And mm-hmm. and I got offered that job and I didn't want to take it. Hmm. And But I knew I needed to, to get out of higher ed. I needed a new environment. And so I was sort of between this rock and a hard place. And so I called Ben and I said, Ben, um, I'm going to take this job at the Olympics. You're going to see that I'm taking this job. But if like if COVID ends two weeks from now mm-hmm. and, you know, you're hiring, you know, call me, I'm, I will hmm. quit this job after the, the day I start and hmm. come work in conservation. And in that started a conversation that basically led to me starting at RGS four months later. Did you end up taking the Olympic no. job? Okay. No. So, okay. um, and so that was, was a, the hard pivot for me away yeah. from higher ed into conservation. Wow. Yep. So, um, uh, which, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for, um, you know, Ben taking the chance on me and, right on. and, and having, you know, and, and that was, I got hired to do, to work with chapters, which, you know, in COVID never And happened. you're living in North Carolina. Living in North Carolina. So working in the Southeast, mm-hmm. you know, with the Southeast group, but then COVID, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the pandemic and shutdowns that kept going. And so I shifted within months, I pivoted into a, a fundraising, the development officer role mm-hmm. and through a, over the a year and a half did that amongst a myriad of other things. You know, RGS is a smaller organization, get to wear many hats. And so I did a lot at the organization. Yeah. You know, worked with some really great people. And, and you built up your name in the conservation world and sort yeah. of honed your skills as a fundraiser. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, yeah. Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever have a campaign going on. Call a the small one, yeah. yeah. And uh, – another job opportunity shows up. Yeah. So, um, so this fall, um, I, I, I actually think, um, so this is fall of 2021, 2021. Yeah. So fall 2021, um, a colleague who I know that works at pheasants forever emails me and says, Hey, we're hiring a development officer in the Midwest. Do you, you know, do you know anyone? And I looked at it and I went, hey, are you free on Friday? We need to talk. And uh, called him up and talked to him. And, and I had known Jordan at this point and, and David and, and gave them that they didn't know that I had previously interviewed and for this Jordan, job. Jordan and David. So David Bue, um, Chief Development yep. Officer at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Jordan Martinsich, the Director mm-hmm. of Development. So yep. kind of the, the leaders of our uh, Call the Uplands campaign. Yeah. And so um, it's so. Long, long story short, Becky and I were looking to relocate back to the Midwest. We both love the Midwest. Um, her family's from Chicago. You know, that was, it's important for us to be closer to them at this point in our lives. And, and so we knew that that was on the horizon. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so I remember I I got that and was talking to her and said, like, what do you think about this? Like, Mm. I'm going to have to move, you know, so what does this look like? And, um, and so, so long story short, I apply, I'm like, 
well, it's worth a conversation. Mm. I, I know these people. Why not? And so I basically, I wrote my cover letter like, it's me again. <laughs> uh, but but now, I, here's all of this experience that sure. I have. Sure. You know, I would love to talk to you again. And I would love the chance to come work for the organization. And so um, go through that. And um, I, in right between Christmas and New Year's of 2021, Jordan calls me and says, you know, if you're willing, we'd love to have you come to the team. Mm. And I, I haven't pulled on the, the dog thread here yeah. recently. So we, we, we talked about Plexi. Yeah. At what point did you add the second dog and then the third dog? Yeah. So Mac, um, Mac is the second dog. Uh, the macaroni as we call her. She, uh, a little short hair, white, white ticked with a liver head, short hair. Um, she came in August. I picked her up in August of 20. Okay. Yep. So, um, which was great. I'm, you know, took her hunting that fall and, um, she, yeah, she, that little dog makes me so happy. She, uh, yeah, I took, I, she pointed grouse, woodcock. I'm going to brag on the dog and I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm gonna, so y'all can, when you see her running amok and be screaming <laughs> at her, you can make fun of me. Um, but she, yeah, so picked her up in, in fall of, uh, fall of 20 or, or late summer of 20 hundred or all fall of, of 20. And then, uh, last year was a, was a heck of a breakout season, mm. uh, for her and, um, you know, did natural ability and in, uh, in May of last year. Um, and, and again, you know, it all kind of ties back to, so that Northern Illinois group, mm. I got her from a woman who I trained with there had okay. a female that I loved and she ended up breeding her and actually bred her to a, a dog, uh, that, um, has very strong ties to some other friends of mine that I had seen. And so it was sort of this, this very full circle moment. And so, um, so I get, get Mac again from that Northern Illinois group. And so, um, so that was, uh, yeah, August of 20 Cole, uh, was her litter mate. Um, he was in a situation that wasn't, just wasn't tenable for the folks that had him. Okay. And so last fall he got, Amber is my breeder. She took him back and I'm, I'm on the road fundraising and working and hunting a ton, as much as I can. Yeah. And Plex is nine. Yeah. Nine going on 10 and max a year and a half, but you know, two dogs is not enough when you're on the road for a month and a half. <laughs> and so, um, so I, called you know amber and i stay in touch and so she, and i had always sort of kept an eye on him and so she uh she gets him back and i said well i'm meeting i'm meeting the guys to go hunting next weekend put him on the truck mm. like do you like do you really want to hold on to him or can i take him for a while and she was like you can take him i'm like put him on the truck and so um so i got him october hmm. 24th 25th of 2021 um, never met him, nothing. And I had a, I had Roy, who I mentioned, I had him look at him and just say like, give me an honest assessment. Like, mm. is it worth my time or my nuts? You know? And he was like, no, the dog's fine. Let it rip. Um, so I got him two days before I drove to Vermont to go hunting for four days. Okay. And I was like, well, praise the Lord for GPS. <laughs> and so, um, which he didn't, the dog didn't need, he, he ran big, but, um, huh. but you know, he, he was very connected to me very quickly. And, um, and so, yeah, so I've had him and, um, that, uh, I had three, 
all of a sudden, very quickly. Yeah. And littermates at that. And, and, and remind me again, when did you start working for PFQF? Uh, January. January. Of okay. 22. This is 22, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, 22. Yeah. And you moved up to Southern Metro Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. In uh, February. In February, yep. right before Pheasant Fest. Yeah. And Quail Classic in Omaha. Yeah. And for the first time in your journey, you have secured a job leaping before Becky has, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, generally your region, um, Minnesota, Iowa. Uh, Northern Iowa, Wisconsin, Nebraska. So that's kind of the the opportunity, like – Okay, Becky, here are your states. Yeah. Right? Yep. And she she hooked a big fish. <laughs> she did, yeah. Yeah, so not to be outdone. Um, so uh, I left Pheasant Fest and uh, drove to Waverly, Iowa to meet her so she could be announced as the 18th president of Wartburg College, uh, which is incredible um, for her to, to have that progression in her career, but also the serendipity of um, – for the first time I had, I had seen something that was very important to me that, that I wanted to pursue. And, and she afforded me the opportunity to go do that. And, um, and then to have, and which, which to be clear, like she stayed in North Carolina and I moved to Minnesota Mm -hmm. and to, to pursue this. Trusting that it was going to work out. Yeah. And then, and, and we didn't find that job until I took the job at PF, Mm. which was new year's. Mm. So, you know, within three months to then have her not only get a position, but to have it be the dean, you know, well, so to go from the dean to the president. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so, uh, just incredibly fortunate and, um, crazy really is. Yeah. President of Wartburg. Yeah. Which means you're going to. I'm moving again. Moving again. (laughs) But you both have gigs and you're going to live in, um. Basically, northeast Iowa. Yep, absolutely. And have you made the NAVDA connection in northeast Iowa yet? Yeah, there's a a few. Um, So at this point, um, this past January, I was approved as a senior judge. um, So I get to to lead um, basically the sort of the the person who sets the agenda for the day for for NAVDA tests and does all the paperwork. My scores don't count more than anybody else's. It's Mm. just... You're the administrator. Mm-hmm. And so, but there, again, I appreciate NAVDA has a, a, a process and there, and, and there's reasons for that. And so again, similarly, basically I went back to being an apprentice, but this time, uh, for a senior, they don't like calling judges apprentices. So they call them acting seniors, but basically you're apprenticing mm-hmm. to be a senior. Mm-hmm. And so I did that all of last year and was approved this year to be a, a senior. So, I, and I, um, I love the Midwest. And so I would use judging as an opportunity to get back to the Midwest as often as I can. And Mm. so I have, I'm very grateful. I have a ton of NAVDA connections in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska. Um, and so, yeah, there, it, it, it's still there. And Mm. I'm, I'm a member of, I think four chapters right now, (laughs) you know, all over the country. So, so so you got the Milwaukee chapter, the Northern Illinois chapter, the, um, Tar Heel chapter, yeah, and now the yeah. one of the ones in Iowa. One of the ones in Iowa, and I'm also I'm I'm probably going to end up joining the Heartland chapter out in Omaha because I love those <laughs> folks so much. So, um, yeah, I, I you know I get around a fair bit. So when you think back about that journey, and forgive me, how old are you? Thirty five. Thirty five. Yeah. The the journey at yeah. thirty five, right? But um, Navda 
really has played a pretty important role. Huge. What is there a way you can recap that, or is there anything that you point to and it's like that? Mm-hmm. Um, that that's what Navda did for me. Yeah, um, I would tell you first and foremost. I met people that are a group of people that are my best friends hmm. that we go hunting everywhere. Hmm. And it, so it, 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 I mean, it, it didn't, I didn't come to conservation through NAVDA, but it, it connected me to people that, that turned me on to this thing that, that is so important that I pivoted my career mm-hmm. to, to pursue it full time. Hmm. And couldn't be happier. Mm. And it's because of the people I met through NAVDA and the opportunities that, that they afforded me um, and taught me and, and and invested in me to then afford me these opportunities and, and sort of stoked that fire and that passion to go mm. and and pursue this career. Um, and, and as well as the opportunity as a judge, I travel all over the country. I get mm-hmm. to see landscapes and places and meet people you know, all over the place that, that love this thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, cause of dogs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I would say that's the, the biggest thing. I, I would also say you going through the judge process, um, is great leadership training. Hmm. Um, and, and, um, and it really teaches you to take feedback because hmm. it, it, it's a, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And you get evaluated every day and you're going to get told things you don't want to hear, but mm-hmm. you got to, you got to work through them. And so, um, I think that I, I, I put a lot in that, hmm. you know, going through both a apprentice program and then the acting senior program. You know, I think that, that both of those were, were very good for me. As a person that has raised three dogs here and, yeah. and a judge and sees way more bird dogs in training than the average person, right? Yeah. Is there a tip that you would give your, you're a Pheasants Forever Quail Forever member that, you know, they got a COVID puppy at home. Yeah. Um, a tip that pay attention to that. There's, you know, that's that's where people make mistakes or anything that you would highlight for folks. Well, there's so many choices. Um, Are there? Are there really that many choices that people just um, take wrong turns? You know, I mean, it's a it's an animal, so you can take a wrong turn in so many places. I would say two things. I'm going to like way boil this down. Take the dog hunting as often as you can, mm-hmm. as young as is. If you can make sure that that dog is not gun shy and mm-hmm. go through the process to make sure that it's, it's conditioned to gunfire, take it hunting. Mm-hmm. I, personally, this is, I'll stand on a soapbox. So I mentioned Mac. I took her hunting at four months old. Mm-hmm. She pointed four species of wild birds between four months and six months so, old. So a number one gun yeah. In bird introduction, right? So yep. they're not intimidated yeah, don't, when that happens. Don't mess it up, but, you know, make sure that you can, you know, and, and don't rush that. You know, she, she, and I knew what I was doing and knew what I was looking at to know that she was ready for that. Mm-hmm. But work, if you're brand new, find somebody that knows how to do it and, and, and that you trust and work with them mm-hmm. to do that appropriately. And then when that's and, done. And then when that's done, go hunting. Mm-hmm. And, and that first season or more is for them. It's not for you to go, you know, Stack them up. you know, just take the dog hunting mm-hmm. and watch it and learn how the dog hunts and 
get it used to going places and yeah, hotel don't get, rooms. And don't get wrapped around the axle if they're not pointing or honoring. Yeah, no, or just, just, just let them roll. Learn. And, uh, yeah. And, and, I, and I'll own, I was able to do that with her because I had a dog that had gone through Navida that was bulletproof. Mm. You know, I knew what I had. And so I was like, well, if I get to the point where I'm tired of following this puppy around, I've got the old reliable in the truck that I know mm-hmm. will do the work. But if, you know, if that's what you have, go hunting. And the other piece, so that's hunting. On the home side, don't be afraid to put the dog in a crate or kennel. Mm. Mm. Like you mentioned the Velcro piece. Teach the dog to that there are times where it can't be with you and that it needs to settle and mm. and be calm. And and that was so for COVID. So I got Mac during COVID. I had a, a kennel under my desk and she would go, I'd put her in the kennel mm-hmm. and I'd work. And I'd get up and I'd go get a cup of coffee or go to the bathroom or take the other dog out or, mm. or whatever. And, you know, she had to, to be in there and wait and chill and, and all of that. And I think that's a hard part for a lot of folks. I mean, they're so cute and they want to be with you and they're fun. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, like, I want to have it around. I want to play with it. Like, but there, it's important to have that self-control of yourself, in my opinion, to then teach them that self-control sure. too. to pay big dividends. All right, switching hats on you. Yeah. Uh, you've done in a short amount, of, relatively short amount of time, what a lot of people are hoping to do, mm-hmm. a career change. Sure. Pretty hard career, pretty harsh turn in yeah. career change, not harsh in yeah. change, but, um, you know, you go from higher education to mm-hmm. conservation. Yeah. Um, people that are listening, like, you know, that that it really is my dream, too, to yeah. merge my passion with um uh, my lifestyle right? sure. or my my job yeah any tip you would offer to people listening and saying yeah i want to i'd like to make a life change too because that's yeah. intimidating on a variety of fronts yeah absolutely um two things um yeah you made it earlier show up mm-hmm. um you know be hungry and, and look for opportunity, try to volunteer, try to get involved. Know that the first time you try something that, you know, you, you might not have that opportunity. And so keep looking and keep, mm-hmm. keep working and getting invested and in, involved in those spaces and, and not just show up, but show up and offer to help get and tricky. then, and then actually help and, yeah. and, and do that. Um, and then, and then after that, be patient. I remember when I got into this, you know, I had Plexi, she's a couple months old. And I remember a, a couple times, like sort of like watching Matt and looking at his truck all geared out and being like, I want all of that, mm-hmm. you know, and I have this puppy and like an 870 and a wire kennel and, and, and I didn't realize like now 10 years later, I have, that's what my truck looks mm-hmm. like, but it takes 10 years to get there. Right. And, and so for me, I mean, I, that's why I wanted, I was very clear. Like I start, I, the first conservation job I applied for was in 2015 mm-hmm. and it took me until, right. you know, March of, or, or May of 2020. And that's reality too, right? Yeah. Because it took you a while to get to the point where you had the higher ed job too. Right. Sure. I mean, yeah. so it hopefully doesn't take what, four years yeah. and then another four years to get, but it's going to take some time. Yeah. Right, because there's there's a waiting list there in some sort of term. 
right? Yeah. Well, and learning curve and, mm-hmm. um, you know, meeting the right people and, right. and all of those types. Of, and I would say, you know, I mean, it is not lost on me that I'm so fortunate to, to have built good relationships with people that, that have looked out for me and mm-hmm. put in good words for me, you know, um, you know, I, I had to go through interview processes and, and like I said, with that job at Elon, you know, stand and bang on my own two feet, but, yeah. but it helps to have people to talk to and, and to have people trust you. Another thing that we haven't touched on much that I think w- was an advantage for you is you built your own personal brand in a variety of ways. Hmm. Social media was one, but then you also e- emerged as a freelance writer, right? Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure you were doing nights and weekends and sending stories to Chad Love at Quail Forever sure. and, you know, Reed or, um, yeah. you know, Rough Grouse and mm-hmm. offering to write. And not only was yeah, my interpretation was that wasn't, you weren't after the paycheck. No. Right? <laughs> no. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, partly it, it was fun. Right to yeah. to capture these stories, but also it was a way for you to build your brand and get mm-hmm. your name out there. So, but again, it's not like, well, job posting. Like I'm going to go after that if I don't get it. Um, that's that's that. Yeah, you know, you like you said, you first applied 2015. You know, um, mm-hmm. BHA volunteer, yeah. Ralph Grouse. Like there were steps along the way, and I think writing was one of those. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. And in, 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 in ebbs and flows, like, you know, again, you know, I got turned on to that mouthful of feathers blog and, mm-hmm. and, and then sort of, and at that time, you know, Instagram, there was a, a burgeoning bird dog community on Instagram with, you know, Nick Larson and Jay Dowd and Michael Thompson and, and, you know, and we all, we joke now, you know, loosely we joke i should say that like we're kind of the ogs of instagram <laughs> like bird dog instagram but uh and again you know i say that knowing full well that when i started instagram i didn't have plexi yet uh, you know huh. but but I, I got this bird dog and 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 like fell into that community and just sort of went on the ride with it but um <laughs> but, so i started this blog and i had i had written as a kid and through life circumstance got away from it and then mm. i found that mouthful of feathers blog and it really i was like oh i like this mm. like i wonder if i could do that mm. and so i started this this blog and and i just was never consistent with it and, and didn't like it it, it it didn't it didn't i didn't invest in it. i shouldn't say i didn't like it i just didn't invest in it and so i put it, sort of put it by the wayside and then with covid with my old job with all sorts of things um and I had talked to Chad. I finally met Chad at, at Pheasant Fest in 2020. And I, uh, what kicked it all off again was my f- um, my friend's camp collapse, the one that I would go to all the huh. time. And I was at this point, like with COVID had just started, and I was like, I need an outlet really mm. bad. And so I remember I got up. And I, when I was writing a lot back in the day, I, w- I would do it really early. Mm. And so I got up at 4.30 and I poured a cup of coffee. Like wow. I was really laying in bed the night before going like, you need to write this down. And I set my alarm and I got up and I wrote this thing about the camp collapsing and resilience and COVID. And I just, I put it on my blog. That's the first thing I posted on my blog probably in five years and put it on Facebook. And Eddie Nickens called me and went, what the hell, man? 
And I'm like, whoa, wait, like, what's, and he was like, you never told me you were a writer. And I'm like, well, I'm not. And he was like, no, like, that's good. Like, hmm. you should do that more. And I was like, oh. it, for Eddie to tell me that, mm-hmm. you know, with my, and I had become friends with him at that point. I was like, oh, okay. And then um, I had a very good friend from graduate school who, was a, who left higher ed and became a, a journalist. And he called me and said the same thing. And I was like, oh, well. I guess I should do this a little bit more. Mm. And, um, and I had gotten to know Chad and, and so, and he's so gracious and always looking for new voices. And so I, I said, um, you know, if you're looking for something for bird dogs for habitat, um, I'd love to write something. Mm. And that was my first opportunity was, mm. was him giving me a chance to tell a little bit of my story yeah. for bird dogs for habitat two years ago. Um, and I, and I think about that, you know, you talk about progression, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and it's the same in dog training. Like the puppy, the six month old puppy isn't <laughs> going to do what it does at two years old or five years sure. old. Right. And so, yeah, um, I get, you know, it's funny, you know, the talk about like the personal brand and my niece likes to joke and call me an influencer. And I'm like, <laughs> Alex, you're nuts. Like it's, it's, I was telling somebody getting ready for this podcast, they were like, you're going to be great. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I have this severe level of imposter syndrome for my entire life in this world right now. And, um, and so I still like, I did this thing with Eddie for gardening and gun at Siwi. And, um, and he, he asked me in front of this whole crowd, like, like, what do you think all of this, of all of this? And, and uh, to, to like, Eddie is one of my big, like dearest friends. And I said, Eddie, like, I still think it's completely absurd that I'm sitting up here with Eddie Nickens. Like mm. you and I go fishing and in my head, I'm going, I'm fishing with Eddie Nickens. Mm. Like it's a, like this, like I'm sitting here talking to Bob St. Pierre, <laughs> like that's the narrative in my head right now. <laughs> and so, um, it, it's so, like somewhat surreal. And I try, mm. and I think that's to the Instagram thing. Like I try so hard to be grateful mm-hmm. for the friendships that I have and the relationships I have and the opportunities that I have. Um, and it, and it, like, and I also recognize, you know, coming and doing work in that diversity, equity, and inclusion space, like, it is such a privilege to chase this passion and, mm-hmm. and to have a career and, um, and to do this. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful that they get up every day. And, and then again, you talk about the last five months of working for PF and QF. This is no joke. Like, this place is incredible. Hmm. This is the, the culture of this organization and this team. I wake up every day and I'm like, this is, I have to work hard because <laughs> this, it's I can't let this down. It? Yeah. Yeah. It's a 425 type A's. I, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but at the same time, like we're not super, like we're not competitive. Mm. We're just like, go get it done. Yeah. Competitive for the, for the habitat cause. mission. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I'm going to transition you one so, final so time. I'm, I'm doing good tangents here. I apologize. No, no, it's great. It's great. Um, I'm going to have you put your new hat on. All right. And, and help us fundraise. Perfect. Tell, tell Let's us, do it. Tell us about um, Call the Uplands yeah. and then bring it full circle to Bird Dogs for Habitat. All right. Let's let's see if I can do this. <laughs> David Butte, don't fire me. Um, <laughs> so this is how I look at this. And this, this is completely me how I look at this. Upland bird con- conservation for, for our generation is the is is the biggest it's it's the thing that will will stand or fall on our watch hmm. you know grassland habitat or you know or 
diverse forest habitat, you know, to put my RGS, my mm-hmm. former RGS hat, sage grouse, sage, sage grouse, yeah. any of that, that will exist or go away on our watch. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, pheasants and quail and prairie grouse and forest birds. The time to, to invest into, to move the needle in the right direction for those species is now like it was for ducks a hundred years ago hmm. or turkeys or deer. You know, we saw what we can do as a conservation community when we lean in and invest in the resources to, to move the needle. We've, we've done it over and over and over again, but we have not done it for upland birds. Hmm. You know, we have not done it for, for bobwhites or, or pheasants or rough grouse or sharp tails or sage grouse, mm-hmm. you know, and we're steadily watching those things decline. And it is a monumental challenge. Mm. And so being the organization that we are, we go, I'm sure it's a monumental challenge, but we like monumental things. Mm. Let's get after it. And so for the call of the uplands, that's our monumental response. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it's, a, it's a monumental to the tune of a goal of raising over $500 million to, to impact 9 million acres, to permanently protect at least 75,000 acres, and to impact 1.5 million people mm. in terms of, of, of our mission and hunter recruitment and access and advocacy, it, you know, and, and it, candidly, that's just the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, that's, 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 that's the investment on the front end that we need to make to start moving the needle right. to, to, to lean into, to getting the grasslands act passed mm-hmm. and to, to write the ship into the right direction to reverse these trends. Mm-hmm. And so, it, again, that's where I go back to like, it's such a privilege to show up to work every day to work on that because that's how I, I look at it. Like it, if, if those birds go away, it's cause we didn't do it. Mm-hmm. We're here. Now's the time. And so, and so that's why, why we invested in and decided to do this campaign and, and, and to really move the needle and why it's crucial that we need everybody's support. And, and for me, I came to this through a dog. Mm. And and I wrote about this recently in a in a post for the Bird Dogs for Habitat. Like, the only thing that your dog loves more than you is wild birds. <laughs> right. Like, so if nothing else, like, yeah. don't in buy it. the dog toy. Buy, you know, invest mm. in in conservation and invest mm-hmm. in the landscape. You know that that is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, in a number of ways, you know, and and you know whether that is you know you talked about it at the beginning of renewing your membership up your membership one year out, mm-hmm. you know, consider upgrading your membership. Right. Uh, you know, instead of, instead of just a regular member, be a, a rooster booster or a member right. of a cubby club, you know, consider, you know, consider becoming an elite member. Maybe, you know, maybe you're at that point where you want to become a life member. You know, I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm a life member of, of, of pheasants forever. I'm also a life member of rough grouse society, like support those organizations, yeah. you know, uh, you know, we need it. You know, if, if you're philanthropic and, and have more capacity than that, my email is M at pheasants forever.org. Spell it. <laughs> uh, so that would be M N E I D U S K I. And that's the same as your Instagram handle it is. too. Yeah. M Nadusky. Yeah. Spell Nadusky again. Nadusky. N E I D U S K I. Yeah. So it's the E I that mixes people. Well, up. It, it, you can also see how I would have thought it was Nadusky. Uh, very fair. <laughs> very fair. Um, and I, I would say too, um, you know, again, with, it's the Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign. Everybody loves a bit of bit of friendly competition, and everybody mm-hmm. likes to to talk trash around the tailgate or or the bar stool around 
what uh, what breed is the best? Well, put your money where your mouth is, mm. and and so and, and invest in that, and 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 show up. You know, so so for me, um, it's a bit bittersweet. Um, so I lost Plexi recently, uh, and Cole too, in a very tragic accident. And so, um, in going back to NAVDA, one of the things that I talk about as a senior judge at the end of every NAVDA day is that. Um, NAVDA does, does super cool things. So when you test, you get your official test record. And with that test record, they send you a form to send away for a plaque. And on that plaque is your dog's name, uh, like where you ran the test, what test you ran, and the score you got. And as a part of my remarks, I, I say, I say whether you had a good day or a bad day, get that plaque. Because mm. when that dog's not here anymore, mm-hmm. you're going to look at that plaque on the wall and you're going to smile at how awesome they were mm-hmm. or whatever stupid shenanigans they mm-hmm. pulled that, that didn't pull off. And I thought about that a lot in the context of the dog life membership. Mm-hmm. And so I saw at Pheasant Fest that you get this big, it's a, it's a beautiful framed certificate mm-hmm. for a dog life member. And so with, with both of them, first Plexi, I said that like that's what she would want, mm. you know. And so, so at the start of Bird Dogs for Habitat, I did Plexi's Dog Life membership, and I don't think people think about that in the, you know the, the, in the context of like, well, why would you do it at the end? Mm-hmm. But uh, I wrote about this for that for that piece. Like, for me, that dog loved Bob White, mm. and she was really good at him. And I have some incredible memories of her in Texas and in Oklahoma and in Kansas and in, and in North Carolina on Bob White's. Mm-hmm. And so I did her, her dog life for Quail Forever. And, and so I would challenge folks, you know, whether they're here or, or they're past, memorialize them in mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and know that it goes to conservation. It goes to shovels in the ground. You know, it goes to, to conserving or, or improving or putting you know, grasslands on the landscape. Yeah. And I would, and I, I do want to say, um, I think I, I briefly mentioned this to you. So if you're listening to this and you do it, email me a story about your dog. Mm. I want to hear it because I like, that's what got me into this was the, was the, the dogs and the telling the stories and mm. all of those types of things. And so, you know, shoot me an email, <laughs> you know, Hey, I did, the, I did my dog life membership and this is why, and, and this is who my dog was. And, and honestly, what I want you to tell me is like, tell me a time where you were like supremely frustrated about <laughs> it and laugh about them. So, um, cause that was Plexi. Like she had a way of being like, nah, I'm going to do this now. Mm. So, uh, so I'll, in case people are wondering, so I'm going to get to my story. I'm not going to email it to you. I'm going to tell it to you. Okay. But um, in case people are, I, I too am a life member, mm-hmm. both Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. I'm actually a patron member. I, I have no idea when it's going to be completely finalized, but money goes out of my paycheck. Well, thank you. For- <laughs> As a development officer from Minnesota, Bob, I appreciate that. Every, every single paycheck. It's got to be getting close to being paid off. We'll look it up after. And, and then every single dog I've ever had as an my dog right yeah. not and as a kid but my dogs have been dog life members trammel izzy mm-hmm. esky gitchy mm-hmm. they've all been dog life members and the funny thing trammel was i i don't know which number but very early on when we conceptualized dog mm-hmm. life membership 
um, Trammell was of the first. I, I don't think she was the first, but of the first. Mm. And uh, in the marketing department, we had photos of Trammell, right? So this is got to be 15 years ago now that it's me and Meredith, my wife, and Trammell, uh, young couple with a dog, and we had an advertisement created with the three of us promoting dog life memberships. And it was on the, we, we, at the time we had the calendar, there were ads on the side of the calendar that we sent to all members. Mm-hmm. And there's no ads in other than federal's ad at the back, now. Mm-hmm. but there used to be ads on the side. Anyways. So let's say it was May. Mm-hmm. Um, there was our ad with Meredith and I, um, and Trammell in the calendar and Meredith's dad at the time was like, um, uh, uh, he was in human resources as a temp, mm-hmm. as a temp director, and he'd come and work when somebody went on maternity leave, right? So he got a job at Wells Fargo in the Twin Cities, and he sits down at this temp desk to to w- start work, and you know he opens up the laptop, and uh, against the the cube wall is the Pheasants Forever calendar with his daughter. And his son-in-law and the dog, and he starts working. He's like, what the hell is my daughter doing? And then he's like, oh, 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 it's the ad. So so for, you know, for that split second, he's like, how on earth does this person have a photo of my daughter on it? So that's it's it's not a frustrating story, just a no. really serendipitous, um, very funny, goofy story, right? Where here's Meredith's dad sits down, and there's his his uh, young daughter's family <laughs> staring back. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the good stories of of dogs, and um, um, I appreciate you sharing your journey through dogs through Navda. And um, I can't be more thrilled to have you part of the the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever team, especially as we race to the finish line here for uh, Call the Uplands campaign. Absolutely. We got some ground to cover, but Mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be one hell of a celebration once we reach that finish line at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic in the Twin Cities, February 23. Absolutely. Talk about coming full circle. Yeah. There you go. There's another thread, right? Yeah. All right. Bird Dogs for Habitat. Um, One more final thank you to all of our sponsors. Orvis, Sport Dog Brand, Perina Pro Plan, Ruffling Kennels, The Flush Television Show and Outdoor Channel, Project Upland, and, of course, the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. If you're looking for some some help raising that pup of yours, reach out to NAVDA. It's NAVDA.org, right? Yep. NAVDA.org. And uh, find your local um, closest NAVDA chapter to you and um, get some help and find a community that uh, will embrace you as strongly as they embraced Mike Nadusky. Folks, thank you very much for listening. Go uh, renew your membership. Uh, buy a dog life membership, whatever you can do to contribute to our cause, birddogsforhabitat.org. Thank you very much, Mike. It was a 
really fun having you share your story with me. Thanks so much, Bob. It was a pleasure. All right, folks. Uh, I am Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will absolutely rise. Thanks for listening.